The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Our topic today is an investigating cults. What is it that you know about cults? We have private investigator and professional cult expert, David Sullivan. David spent his career infiltrating cults and learning their secrets. He's going to provide a view of cults from the inside out, and he'll describe how cults recruit members and maintain control through very coercive techniques. He'll detail the process of identifying and investigating cults and his collaboration with leading authorities in the area of undue influence. So David Sullivan, besides being a licensed private investigator, is the owner of Sullivan Associates International. He has offices in the San Francisco Bay Area and Rio de Janeiro. Uh, he's studied cults for over 40 years, and he's actually been investigating them for over 20 years. His broad experiences due to living in Europe, North Africa, Latin America, the United States, made him just a perfect candidate to infiltrate cults. And then he, his background in cultural anthropology from his high school and college years studying pre-Columbian civilizations and, and contemporary Native American social issues um, in South Dakota and southwestern United States also prepared him. He's studied in Mexico City. He's visited pre-Columbian archaeological sites throughout Mexico. He's studied the University of Guadalajara, um, joined a field trip of of two archaeological digs and restorations of ancient sites. He lived in Peru and worked with the members of the National Museum on excavations in the northern desert and joined an anthropological expedition uh, to the Peruvian Amazon. I mean, he just has amazing wealth of information and knowledge here. He even taught English in Brazil, traveled through all through South America and lived in South America. And then he came to the United States and I'll tell <laughs> or he worked back and forth in the United States and I'll let him tell you a little bit about that himself. So this journey, he says, David says, has made him many enemies. Therefore, he's really careful about how much he discloses to the public. So, Please join me in welcoming my friend, David Sullivan. Hi, David. Hi, Francie. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it's great. I'd love ha- I love having you on the show. And so um, I-, I gave kind of the overall background of your outside the United States processes. Take us to what you were doing inside the United States. Well, in the U.S., um, I, uh, my time in school coincided with an upsurge in uh, – and kind of cult activity in the U.S. So sometimes it was just a matter of being the right time, right place. I was studying 
cultural anthropology and primarily looking into Native American Indian customs and practices at the time. And I looked around on university and suddenly there's, uh, you know, the Moonies were recruiting, the Hare Krishnas were recruiting, TM, Transcendental Meditators came in. Then we have the Children of God on the street, then the Rajneeshis. So it was, uh, I started thinking, huh, this, this bears some, uh, this bears some scrutiny as well. So I, I knew people that joined and I would, uh, I began going along with them to the introductory sessions and a couple of times went away on some weekend retreats to, to see what was going on. And, uh, even then I, you know, I noticed that there were some very disturbing features, uh, of all the different groups. Uh, some were, you know, of course more malevolent than others. You know, leading up to the Charlie Manson type groups, which we had a couple that formed uh, in the mountains near where I lived as well. Um, you know, mixture of drugs, uh, sex, violence, intimidation, and uh, kind of a mystical uh, view of um, of life and transformation, and mixing it up with revolution. So I observed that, and then began traveling abroad, where I studied. You know, some. Uh, Say drug rituals like peyote rituals and later ayahuasca rituals in in, uh, in the Amazon. Um, so it all started kind of coalescing in my mind. I thought it was very interesting. As I came back to the U.S., I started working with um, uh, Neighborhood Legal Assistance Foundation and working with uh, as as kind of a community activist and advocate for uh, indigent people in in San Francisco. And lo and behold, what do I run into is Sinanon. Uh, Reverend Jim Jones, who some of my clients were members of, uh, um, you know, Jones's church. Um, the woman I was dating, uh, her, her whole family were involved. And in fact, I witnessed a scene on the street with her mother wrestling with the suitcases with her parents as they were getting in the car to go to, to, um, you know, Georgetown. Hmm. Unfortunately, she won. And uh, the parents weren't able to go, although they stopped speaking to her for over a year. And then, of course, the disaster happened. So uh, some of these things touched me very closely. And that, I suppose, enhanced my interest in the subject. And, sure. And uh, it coincided with you know, my work becoming more and more of an investigator or an advocate. Then I worked in uh, uh, Children's Home Society, and we... Uh, provided um, shelter care, emergency shelter care for abused, abandoned, and neglected kids. And some of the kids we had coming in came out of very cult-like environments. And some of the stories they told were, uh, were almost hard to believe. But on, on investigation, you know, many of them were true. Some of them were, uh, and oftentimes their reluctance to talk about it, the effect it had on their families. Uh, sometimes the families weren't their families because they'd been given away and told these other people were their families. So again, that again, it 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 came back to me that this this whole phenomena, uh, this kind of cult-like phenomena, kept surfacing again in my life. Um, subsequently, I um, I worked for the for the state as a licensing program analyst and investigating uh, abuse of the elderly, mentally ill, developmentally disabled, and children. And uh, we found kind of almost cult-like groups running, um, you know, group halls who they were getting, you know, state, federal, county funds. Mm. And basically it was to further their – this kind of totalitarian uh, world they'd created and was financed by, uh, you know, the dependents in their, in, their, in their group. And they generally had that overriding philosophy that, 
you know, they could reshape, reform these people and make them function better. What they did make them do is comply better. So that, again, <clears throat> triggered my interest, and I began working with uh, Dr. Margaret Singer, who is not a cease, but is yes. one of the most highly regarded uh, psychologists in this field, um, really pioneered a lot of it, uh, uh, she and uh, Dr. Lifton. So um, we started working on civil suits against um, cults that were therapy-based for the most part. And that became a real phenomena in the 80s um, under the guise of providing psychological therapy. They would create a, a, a tremendous dependence on their patients and basically take over their lives. And they would devote a lot of their finances and, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, they were sexually abused and exploited, almost always financially exploited. And the common denominator was they became like another person, which their families would always say, and they would be alienated from their families. Mm -hmm. And if they had any money, they were soon parted with it. Excuse me. <clears throat> so from there, uh, Dr. Singer said, uh, well, you know, the, the similarity to this and some of the cult work I do is, uh, is very close. And so she uh, basically started recommending me to work on uh, with families and with uh, attorneys who were suing uh, large cult groups or in the family's instant case were trying to get family members out of cults. So it kind of naturally segued into that. I didn't start out to be um, work specifically with cults, but it seemed to be a natural development. And I'd had this, um, you know, since the age of, of uh, 17, actually, exposure to, to groups and um, and known people who had, who had been, I felt, uh, manipulated and damaged by it. Interesting. So, um, how did how did you become involved in actually infiltrating a, a cult? <clears throat> we um, we found that oftentimes the um, it was important to find out what were the means of manipulation. Um, what was the philosophy, uh, how they recruited um, the individual, how they kept control of them, um, what stages they used to, to, to indoctrinate the individual, to mm -hmm. alienate them from their family, to create what um, um, is referred to as a cult personality, almost a second personality, a second set of beliefs, and to... Um, to ascertain that, it was better to go in from the inside. Occasionally, some groups have been court-ordered to have a psychologist observe the group, but of course, that immediately they modify their behavior um, because they know they're under observation and someone sure. is there taking notes. It's far different when you see them, you know, kind of unfettered, you know, when they think that it's just us now with the doors closed and we've got everybody cut off. Mm -hmm. Then you see a, a, a markedly different side uh, of the leader or the group, you know, then you see the the authoritarian, uh, uh, m you know, uh, controlling megalomaniac comes comes through rather than the mask they wear for the public. And David, you and I were talking yesterday about cults, and and it doesn't seem like they have been very prevalent in the news. But you're telling me that they are still widespread. Yes, definitely. And they've become better at um, uh, the larger, more successful ones have become better at masking um, how they operate. And 
kind of a, a, appearing to mainstream themselves. I mean, almost all of them have discovered the great advantage it is uh, to calling yourself a religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get all the constitutional rights as a result. And they have people kind of give them a pass because they think, ah, oh, well, it's a, it's a belief system. You know, I have my belief systems. I go to my church. You know, everybody can choose what church they want to worship in. So it's a, it's a, it's an excellent cover. The other thing that we've seen develop is that with, um, with the widespread awareness of, um, uh, behavioral, uh, techniques, um, that are very effective, that, um, Individuals without a great deal of training, they don't have to be therapists, they don't even have to be particularly charismatic, uh, can use a small group of people and gain uh, a, a very uh, high degree of control over them. And so you have, uh, you know, you have mini cults of uh, five or six people. They too fly below the radar. I don't think they, you know, the authorities or magazines, uh, journalists don't take such an interest in them because it's not on a scale that makes it newsworthy. However, for the individuals in that group and their families, it's tragic. It's devastating. And I, I suspect the majority of people think that that all cults are born in California, but it turns out that that's not true either. Correct. No, that's very true. I think um, California has a great reputation because we had some high-profile uh, uh, kind of exotic New Age cults, which are very newsworthy. But uh, cults certainly aren't confined to California. And, for instance, in the South, as we were discussing, there's a lot of um, um, uh, Christian or pseudo-Christian cults. And by identifying themselves as Christian – they, they, they fly under the radar, but they're equally controlling, damaging. Um, you know, they, they do all the same things. They cut people off in their families. They exploit them financially. Uh, you know, they get them to sign over mortgages to their house. They, they have the apocalyptic end times coming. They uh, exploit them sexually. They exploit their time, their money. They, you know, they consume their lives just as any other cult does. However, they're not uh, – unless they do something really outrageous like start burning Korans or um, you know, going to funerals and uh, like a group in Wichita and throwing blood on people, uh, they're, they're not going to get a lot of media attention. So uh, families aren't always aware that their, their family member is involved in a cult. They move away and they say, well, I found this church. It's wonderful. And they devote more and more of their time to it. First thing they start learning that something's wrong is they don't come back for Christmas anymore. They don't really communicate much anymore. They don't see their, you know, siblings or nieces and nephews anymore. And their life becomes, seems to be completely, utterly taken over by this group. And then sometimes they hear that, ah, and by the way, I'm going on a mission to some remote country and then they have even less contact. Yeah. Um, Let me, David, let's interrupt for just a second. This is a good time for it to take a break. David Sullivan will return shortly. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Trying to juggle the need for comprehensive data on a tight budget, Merlin's Investigators Package was created especially for investigative and law enforcement professionals. With the Investigators Package, you'll enjoy tremendous savings over Merlin's pay-per-search pricing. For less than $100 per month, you can access the premium databases most frequently used by investigative professionals. Merlin's Investigators Package, simply the best, most affordable option for research and investigation. To learn more, call 800-367-6646 or email sales at merlindata.com. Free trials are available. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator and cult expert David Sullivan has infiltrated cults and is here today to tell you those experiences. David, you were talking about how people get alienated from their families and so forth. Yes. Could could you tell us um, what? How would we define a cult? What is a cult? There's a list uh, that's put together by uh, Dr. Lifton, which um, and uh, Margaret Singer, which which has some. You know, defining characteristics of cults, and the exact list I'm not finding here. But there is um, some of the things is uh, is um, they exercise milieu control, and there's um, an aspect to it of um, there's some telltale features of psychological coercion which are important. I can hear you frantically looking through your paperwork. No, no, I just <laughs> have it here. Now I can't find it, and it's nice to go down the 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 list. Um, 
However, well, it's, it's safe to say that they use mind control and recruitment techniques, correct? Yes, yes. For instance, um, you know, some of the things to look for is they, they call it uh, a cult in, in indoctrinee syndrome. And these are things you look for in, in, in changes in a person. Uh, there'll be a sudden drastic alteration of the individual's value hierarchy, meaning that they abandon their previous academic and career goals. Sometimes they suddenly radically change their interests, political views, worldview. Um, they... Uh, they um, have a, a reduction in um, what's called cognitive flexibility and adaptability. They start having these stereotype predictable responses which coincide with the cult leader and the cult beliefs. And uh, then they start having this narrowing and blunting effect, which is part of the uh, uh, cult personality where uh, their, their natural feelings of love for family members or even pets or their things they enjoyed in life before become very repressed or, or, or not available. Hence, you find someone that has, uh, they say, little affect. I mean, they'll be around someone that they uh, formerly loved with their parents or sibling and they'll have kind of a, a blank smile or, you know, it's as if they're talking to a stranger. This always makes the family quite unnerved. Mm-hmm. Then they'll yep. also become extremely dependent on the leader of the cult. They'll no longer be able to make any kind of decisions. We have situations where a person making the simplest decision has to call on the phone to talk to the cult leader or has to go into a, a private reverie and get in touch with their spiritual connection to the cult leader to make the simplest decision, sometimes even over ordering food. And then if there's physical changes, which one can note. Oftentimes there's a, a, a great deal of weight change or a person can appear to have aged a great deal and then uh then you can start seeing you know real pathological uh symptoms where they start um you know the magical thinking becomes uh pronounced they appear to hear voices they'll start uh um seeing connections and synchronicity everywhere around them because they usually the cult leader starts a Almost all the cults believe that uh, everything is predetermined. They're, they met that individual and that group for a, for a purpose. They start talking about um, you know these grandiose schemes of transformation, transformation, uh, both the world themselves, people around them, and they'll um, often talk that they're you know chosen, they're they're special, and uh, they have some special knowledge no one else has. And, and it's hard to believe, David, that I mean. Many of our listeners are th- probably thinking, that would never happen to me, but that's not true, is it? No, that's the most common misconception, I think. Uh, people think that it could never happen to them or it only happens to kind of uh, uh, weak, susceptible personalities. <clears throat> but the number of people you encounter who are very intelligent, very strong people, now especially with some of the more New Age cults with uh, um, kind of um, – empowerment cults or they, they have groups that uh, claim to uh, make you more uh, effective, more dynamic, more intelligent, mm-hmm. draws a very, you know, draws a kind of entrepreneurial individual, a very driven individual, very smart person, very strong personality. They're often drawn into those and they like to recruit those kinds of people because they bring in money and they're dynamic in, in, in making a group grow. Usually, what makes a person vulnerable to uh, cult recruitment is is um, you're going through some kind of life crisis or change. 
sometimes it's a divorce. Sometimes it's um, why they liked 18-year-olds is because they're in the process of individuating. Oftentimes, they're just going off to college, and that's where they used to target. My generation was the number one target. Mm-hmm. Um, now, because they've gotten smart, they know about money, they like to target people who are successful, but um, – perhaps are, are lonely or feel like they don't have a, a higher meaning in life and what's beyond making money. And they also are increasingly targeting older people because older people own homes and uh, have savings and investment portfolios, and that's made them a very enticing group. And they oftentimes are somewhat vulnerable because their children live elsewhere. They have their own careers and lives, and so they have time on their hands. So they also are, are, are very good people to exploit in terms of free labor. So you're talking about people that are essentially looking for answers, looking for meaning in life, maybe have... Well, th- this is true um, to a point. I mean, there's... There's one of the criteria is they, uh, you know, idealists are, are, are often uh, subject to recruitment because they, they are looking for, uh, for their lives to have some meaning. This is particularly effective with uh, younger people and I think older people. But that isn't always the case. I mean, sometimes people are simply, because there's so much, uh, uh, deception in the recruitment process, mm-hmm. um, you know, almost no one would join a cult if they knew what they were in for. I mean, they if you're young, you go away for a weekend to talk about world peace. You don't know that you're going to be forced into marrying somebody you don't know and uh, having children with someone you don't know and then having the children taken away from you and working 18, 20-hour days, seven days a week for nothing and losing uh, your entire family. Now, if they said that's what's going to happen, if you go away for the weekend, no one would go. Right. But uh, – uh, you know, um, oftentimes people think that, you know, well, I'll take a personality test. Uh, they'll tell me that I have some problems in my life, and uh, they have the answer to how to sort that out. So you think it's going to be a short-term thing to make you a better husband, better father, better mother, uh, better employee. Uh, that's that's the ruse. You know, ah, come to this seminar, and you'll become so much more effective in your profession. I mean, you'll your your career will just take off. As an actor, you'll become, you'll get parts, you'll, 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 you'll fully realize your talent. If you're a businessman, you're, you'll unleash your dynamism and creativity. And, you know, the people that sell it are good. I mean, the, the really good ones are amazing. And, uh, uh, they, they draw people in so quickly. And then it's a gradual process of, 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 of changing your view. Then they use a lot of, uh, uh, you know, mirroring with the group goes along with it. You have a lot of peer pressure. You try and, uh, uh, you know, be in agreement with those around you. Oftentimes, you don't know that the people around you are plants. They're not people there just at the initial uh, session like you are. They're actually trained to uh, pretend to be new and then encourage you by saying, wow, this is really insightful. Isn't this amazing? And they start reformulating how you view things. Then one of the other things they'll do is they start changing language and meaning. And uh, words that you thought you understood, they turn upside down. So, uh, And then there comes the reframing techniques where they reframe your life. You're going to guided imagery sessions and remember your life and everything that once seemed positive, they can flip. For instance, if uh, you know your parents made great sacrifices to send you to college so you could pursue a degree and pursue a career, they will flip it and say that, you see, these are how these people were manipulating you. They were trying to make you become what they wanted and they had no respect for you as an individual, whereas here in the group, you know, 
you will you will truly realize yourself. What they don't know is that means you know uh, cleaning toilets or uh, having sex with people to recruit them into the group, and uh, you know being treated like uh, an indentured servant or a slave. So these are people, David, that look like you and me. They're not the people that we remember being in robes and clanging bells and and marching up and down the airports. That's exactly right. There's still people that do look like that, and they're easily identified. However, most people in cults now, I think, are probably uh, very uh, conventional-looking on the outside, um, and some of them even come uh, across as very, um, uh, very businesslike. It's you know it's effective. I mean, the the cult groups have have learned to adapt, and they've learned how to exploit the law. Uh, one of the reasons I'm careful about uh, we all have to be to work in this field using names. You get sued all the time. You get harassed. You have people do a great deal of uh, a character assassination. I mean, I have a friend who's a lawyer, and they open up a website putting uh, up uh, you know libelous material, but. You know, with the nature of the web, um, no one can find, uh, uh, you know, where the source comes from. But it's very damaging to his reputation. Uh, another group had a off-duty policeman, would go around as a policeman, talking to neighbors and, and, and people of influence, that uh, uh, inferring that the person had done all these crimes and they were investigating them for the FBI. Or, mm-hmm. It was, you know, there's a great deal of character assassination. Plus, just the, the the burden of responding, having to hire an attorney and respond to, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, false legal charges. They may get dismissed, but it can it, financially, it's exhausting, expensive, tiring. So, you know, and that way they backed a lot of people off. For instance, in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of media coverage. A lot of magazines covered some of the groups, and they were, you know, ceaselessly sued. For libel, and so what you find is there's a self-censorship. People just don't write about it anymore. Okay, we need to take another break. Uh, more with David Sullivan and cults in a moment. When we come back, David is going to share a very personal story about what happened to him inside the cult. We'll be right back. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. 
a heavy caseload, and a lack of resources. Sound familiar? Merlin's Locate Services team can help. After 30 years in the investigative business, Merlin knows a few things about the industry. Our team of expert skip tracers delivers a host of skip tracing, public record research, place of employment, and bank asset services to investigative and collection professionals. Competitive tiered pricing is available, and all results are 100% guaranteed. To learn more or to inquire about other professional skip trace services, log on to MerlinData.com or call 800-367-6646. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today, David Sullivan, is telling us about being inside a cult or several cults, many cults, and he's going to tell us about that. David, what, what did you want to tell us? Uh, well, you, you wanted the story about uh, where, where I wasn't sure I was going to get out of one. Uh, I, right. I had to uh, – we had a, a multiple murders in a case, and it was it was done – it was carried out by a, by a small cult. And the leader of the group had, had put all his people through a um, – kind of a, a cult-like um, large group awareness training, they're called. And uh, it softened them up, it conditioned them, and then he would take them from the graduate course. And the graduate course, when he selected them, was, of course, to become his his core group who then went on to murder people. So in order for me to uh, testify in court about the um, psychological, you know, Manipulation, coercion, brainwashing, whatever, that uh, a couple of the, the um, perpetrators went through. They wanted me to go through the preliminary trainings with this other group. So I ended up going through it, and uh, I thought I was going to go for a day or two and get out. But the uh, attorney kept insisting I stay, and he wanted me to go through the whole process and graduate, as they say. So at one point um, – you know the uh, the cumulative effect of uh, you know the sleep deprivation, food deprivation, uh, being in a closed room, being screamed at all the time, began to have its toll on me. And usually, I go into a group just long enough to figure out uh, what their what techniques they're using. They all use variations on the same theme. They may have a different goal or you know framing device. You know whether they're Christian or 
you know, Eastern or whatever, but they use some of the same psychological techniques. But in this case, um, you know, I had to stay in there day after day after day and uh, it drug out into a couple of weeks eventually. And uh, I think in the course of that, some of the people who were closely observing me, I think detected that I may not have been completely on board. So I ended up undergoing a great deal of scrutiny. And um, I had a, that one night I had a sequence of events where I had to move my hotel room because I think I was being bugged. And uh, I had to drive away in the middle of the night and my car broke down on a lonesome stretch of highway. I had to jog for about five miles to get to an airport where I could get another car and still get back in time to not be missed at the group. And I was at the end of my end of my rope, really. And I wasn't sure what they were capable of at that point. To this degree, I wasn't too confident in my own judgment because I was so tired. And I'd been used to having you know people have so much control over me. And had witnessed some outrageous things, you know, people, you know, when you see 60 people rolling on the floor, screaming and howling and vomiting and, and individuals singled out to be humiliated to the point that, you know, you have a young woman standing there with vomit running down the front of her while everybody mocks her and screams at her. You realize this group is, you're not sure where their boundaries are. So, so I'm, I, so David, you, so you're, you're saying that even though you, you had a mission to go in there and find out about this group. You were still personally affected. Definitely. You can't help but be in that kind of milieu for over a certain amount of time before it starts uh, affecting you. You know, you start getting conditioned. Uh, there's, um, you start getting programmed. What we didn't have time to go into was the history of this. Uh, this programming, a lot of it was done in the 50s, and uh, it was, some of it was pioneered by the Chinese and the Koreans with their brainwashing techniques. And then it was it was defined further defined by behavioral psychologists here, but it's kind of like a, 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 a disease that got out of the lab, you know, and got loose in society because anybody can use these techniques now, and they do, to, to, to brainwash people. And usually it, it only takes about four days three to four days, five at the most, and you've got someone who's com- you can completely turn them around about their belief system. Um, it has to be constantly reinforced to maintain it, but when they come out of there, they're definitely programmed. So I, I myself am aware that I no longer trust my judgment very well. And uh, I had a lawyer who's quite a character, and he, uh, you know, he's... He's kind of a take-no-prisoners guy, and he doesn't want to hear anything from me about, you know, I'm reaching my limits. So uh, I told him I, I have to give reports, and I have a cell phone stashed in the bushes. And so periodically I contrive to, you know, dive into the bushes and get on the phone <laughs> at great risk. I mean, that's ridiculous. I flat on my belly in the bushes, and I give him my daily report, right? And then I crawl back in, and I have to go to elaborate ruses to even find those few minutes. And I, I have it timed where I'm out of sight of the cameras that, that surveil you all the time you're there. So, uh, but the cell phone's slowly dying. So I get on the phone, and I think that maybe these guys are actually have my number, and this is it. And if I go back in that building, I'm not coming out this time. So I'm trying to tell them that, you know, I need to leave. This is about as far as I can go with this. It's a safety issue, and mentally, I'm at my breaking point. I need to get out of here. And uh, there's a long pause, and he goes, Sully, you listen to me. 
you have one effing guru, and that's me. <laughs> I'm your effing guru. You get your <laughs> ass back in there now. And uh, before I could say, you know, F you, I'm not, the phone died. So I thought, shit. So I went back in. And it, uh, it was quite an experience. The getting out of there eventually was, was, was something else. And Dr. Singer, uh, uh, dear woman, when she found out I was still in there, she, she, she flipped out. She said, you can't do that to David. I mean, he's, how many days has he been in there now? More than three? And, uh, you know, the attorney says, well, I think he's on day 12. She goes, oh, my God, you know, you, you've got to get him out. So what happened when you went back in? Um, I had to do something dramatic because I realized with the hard stairs, they have kind of an enforcement group that I had to do something to utterly convince them that I had gone over to the dark side, you know. So um, I, uh, the guy started relating a story that was supposed to be very moving. He had long stories. We had a lot of guided imagery at that point. We were doing a lot of hypnosis. And uh, I ended up, you know, I knew the story. I knew where he was going with it. So I jumped up. And I jumped up on a little stage and I started singing, belting out the impossible dream at the top of my lungs. <laughs> and that was supposed to be the, the end of the story. And uh, he was very moved and people were crying and everyone came up and we had a huge sing-along. We sang over and over again for about an hour, the impossible dream. And I was suddenly in everyone's good graces and became kind of a, a leader of the, of the group. But um, that was my redemption. Well, and you were telling me there are actually when you spoke, you spoke at the Commonwealth Club uh, last year or earlier this year, and uh, you were talking about the people that were designated as angels in the group. Right. Tell me a little bit about the angels, or can you talk about that? Um, in what respect? Uh, well, just their role, the angels' role, the people that were designated as angels. Well, the angels, the angels were um, uh, people who had been already been trained and uh, diehard members of the group and they basically followed you around and observed you all the time. So some of the time what they do, your angel would come up and, 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 and heap uh, loads of verbal abuse on you. You know, They would surround you and scream at you and tell you what a loser you were and a liar you were and how useless you were. Uh, so, and then they would, uh, for instance, if you went into the... Uh, you know they control even bodily functions. You know if you if you need to use the toilet, you'll be made to stand and humiliated for an extended period of time before you're allowed to 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 go to the toilet. So uh, and then when you do, as a as a male, uh, males will appreciate this. When you go in, even to use a urinal, you have these two bulky guys on either side of you, and they make sure they're touching you. You know, they have their shoulder to shoulder with you. So, so you know, even while you're standing there urinating, you, you have this physical, you know, pressure on your shoulders or your back. So, uh, it, 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 it builds up over time where you feel this, this incredible violation of space. And when the angels confront you or the leader, he usually does it within about three or four inches of your face. So when he's screaming at you or they're yelling at you, the spittle hits your face. It's, it's amazing the effect that has on breaking down your core sense of self. Mm -hmm. 
if you demonstrate it, sometimes I'll just lean forward and talk conversationally with someone very, very close to their face. And even though it's for an example and it's only for 30 seconds, they invariably can't resist moving back. They feel so uncomfortable. So you can imagine what it's like to have to be submitted to that for sometimes hours a day with someone right in front of you screaming in your face. And and you were disciplined. Can you talk a little bit about that, David? How they discipline discipline you? Um, uh, I was disciplined a, a number of ways. Um, uh, some of it was through a form of ostracism. Once uh, you were uh, deemed to be um, uh, out of favor with the leader, all the other members of the group, even people you thought were friendly to you, shun you. So you're isolated. Whenever you form a little group to do something, you find yourself alone. And uh, the other thing that's done is you're, you're required to stand up in front of everyone or over to one side. And you're not allowed to sit. You're not allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to speak. If you try to speak, you're screamed at. And then the uh, leader periodically comes over and simply humiliates you. And then they invite the whole group to offer their criticisms and people don't even know you will start making up things and 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 criticizing you and shouting at you and uh if you don't i realize if you don't break down if you don't cry or you don't start shaking or vomiting from the experience then they increase it and then the leader comes over and uh, sees that as a form of defiance and uh raises the raises the intensity of the verbal barrage. In this case, they're smart. They don't physically beat you. I think in other groups they do, if they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. In this case, they're aware of you know not leaving anybody bruised when they come out. It's purely psychological, but nonetheless very effective. You know, it's it's a you know it's a form of uh, uh, I don't know. It's borders on, on on torture, but it certainly is effective at breaking down one's personality. Okay, we need very- to take it. We need to take another break, David. Excuse me. Sorry to interrupt. Stay tuned for more from David Sullivan. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. A heavy caseload and a lack of resources. Sound familiar? 
Merlin's Locate Services team can help. After 30 years in the investigative business, Merlin knows a few things about the industry. Our team of expert skip tracers delivers a host of skip tracing, public record research, place of employment, and bank asset services to investigative and collection professionals. Competitive tiered pricing is available, and all results are 100% guaranteed. To learn more or to inquire about other professional skip trace services, log on to MerlinData.com or call 800-367-6646. Trying to juggle the need for comprehensive data on a tight budget, Merlin's Investigators Package was created especially for investigative and law enforcement professionals. With the Investigators Package, you'll enjoy tremendous savings over Merlin's pay-per-search pricing. For less than $100 per month, you can access the premium databases most frequently used by investigative professionals. Merlin's Investigators Package, simply the best, most affordable option for research and investigation. To learn more, call 800-367-6646 or email sales at merlindata.com. Free trials are available. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. David Sullivan has just been telling us his personal story of risking his life inside cults. And and David, you were just telling us uh, on the break that um, this was in an urban environment. I had a picture of it being out in the woods. So this was actually in a warehouse in an urban environment. That's right. It was in a in a in a in a kind of light industrial suburb of a major American city. Huh. Um, some of the places, as I was saying, uh, um, you know, require going on retreat or going out of the country or uh, going into the desert or going to a hot spring someone's taken over. But this was uh, the most bland place you can imagine. I mean, driving up there, I never anticipated I'd have this kind of difficulty. Uh, and and it, and it gives a sense of surreality. It makes you feel like you're kind of in the uh, invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing. And people who you thought were so nice uh, when you met them, and they looked like everyday people. And some are, uh, you know, middle-aged uh, women with children, so nice, so kind. Suddenly, are the people that are are screaming at you and uh, you know, spit flying and uh, hmm. uh, uh, tearing you to pieces. Uh, uh, they had a, a girl who confessed to uh, having been raped from a young age by her father, then her older brothers, and they ended up, you know, in showing her her scars. And so the leader simply says, "Oh, so you want us to have a pity party for you?" And then everyone jumps on board. The whole group just lacerates her, screams at her, mocks her, laughs at her, mm-hmm. humiliates her to the point that she's again she's retching and crawling on the floor, uh, going into a fetal crouch. It's terrifying. It's difficult at that point not to not to intervene directly and call call an end to the entire thing. So, so because you led the group in singing "Impossible Dream," then you became one of the good guys from their yeah. eyes. And is that how you got out of the cult? How did you get out? No, there was a, a, a there was a a time limited commitment. I had to get to the point where I was reborn. And I, I got to the point where I re- was reborn. I got in my new name. 
I got my little song, and uh, I was carried aloft um, by uh, my fellow uh, members, and uh, you know, praised and paraded around aloft, and and uh, love bomb they call it, and everyone hugged me, and some massive hug, and and uh, we all rocked together, and you know, swore we were in it for the end, you know, to transform the world. So long, then I was I was allowed to I leave. Mm, it took uh, about two weeks. From beginning to end, or two weeks after you did your singing event? No, no, about two weeks beginning to end. Okay. Yeah. And, and then, uh, one of the one of the things that I had a uh, uh, an advantage was they, uh, which we didn't go into, they redefine language. Uh, I think I mentioned it. They start changing the meaning of words, and you have to express yourself differently. And it's a it's a way of forming what they call kind of a stop thought. So someone can't articulate anything because they'll stop you because you're using this uh, archaic uh, way of speaking. Like you can't say I think. That's not allowed. You know, you have to say, uh, it's my experience of you, or, um, you know, it's, it's, it's baffling. I mean, when people try and communicate. So I, I'm used to languages and learning languages. So I mastered the, the new speak pretty quickly. And so th- to them, that meant that I was, um, uh, accepting the, the reconditioning and, and reformulation of my worldview. So I was able to begin to speak more and express views from the group as a whole, which started giving me more power and influence within the group. So eventually, I think they had to go from either like uh, uh, crushing me and or recruiting me. And in the end, uh, they took me aside and they wanted me to become one of the uh, trainers. Uh, and so, you know, they, how, so what happened to you? How did... Well, I I I, I uh, didn't accept my uh, the the career offer to become a you know a, a, a leading member and recruiter for the group. I uh, I said that I was uh, I had to make some commitments to family, and then I would get back to them, and then I just kept going. But what was interesting in terms of the programming was, uh, you know, I turned on the radio after leaving, and I heard the the, the leader's voice on the radio, and I knew it wasn't true. But it was his voice, you know. And so they try and convince you that the leader has knows your thoughts and knows wherever you go, and he's communicating with you all the time. And what had happened was with with the, with the hypnosis and the constant shouting and talking and and guided imagery that his voice does become inside your head. And so what I think he does a technique called a voice roll, which a lot of um, uh, preachers use and so I think I was listening to I was in the Midwest I was on a station with a, kind of a Bible station with uh, one of the preachers holding forth and because it's the same kind of verbal technique I heard the trainer's voice so I ended up uh, calling my office and talking to my uh, uh, assistant and I'm not familiar uh, with that David you call it voice roll what is that it's called a voice roll it's a you use a you use your voice in a way that it slowly builds and it goes up and down and it and it builds to a natural crescendo and sometimes it will come up to you know great peaks and uh, I can't do it right now. I'd be shouting on the phone. You <laughs> raise it up to the point where you're where you're shouting uh-huh. and then you plummet down and then you get this really subtle, slow, you know, seductive voice that feels like it's going inside your head and then it starts building and building. But the thing is it has a kind of rhythm to it and there'll be this long protracted story and it lulls you and it starts taking you through these through these emotional states 
when you're unaware of how it's manipulating you. Much the same as in a Hollywood movie, how they use the strings, how the strings, you don't notice them, but they'll come in and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll do a certain movement and it'll instill an emotional response to you and it'll intensify the response they want you to have to what's going on on the screen. Well, you can do this with your voice. And, uh, see so the, the, Perhaps the masters of it in our culture are, say, southern preachers, you know, itinerant preachers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so it's a, it's a well-established technique. And now they're finding that some of these people, if they're real charismatic and powerful people, they can do it. But you've got to have the right kind of voice and delivery. Um, it's very effective. Well, what I find is just fascinating, David, is that – and you and I know each other, so we've known each other for years – that even even – that you had a specific assignment and you're going in with a specific task, knew exactly what was going on, knew exactly how to identify what they were doing, you were still programmed to a degree. That's right. That's amazing. And I use, I even have a well-honed psychological technique that I don't share with anyone that prevents me from being completely programmed. So even with all of that and conscious of every technique they're using, I get programmed too. And some of it's unavoidable. I mean, in a, in a different kind of cult, like, a, say, a, a more New Age Eastern-based cult, mm-hmm. you, if you end up sitting, meditating for hours and hours a day, and you're eating um, you know, uh, a very low-protein, carbohydrate diet, and you have very little sleep, I mean, you're up at five, you're, you're meditating till two, you lose all sense of time and space, um, you know, some of these people find that the path to enlightenment, but it also leads you extremely susceptible and vulnerable to subliminal suggestions and manipulation, which is the point of all these, uh, uh, which is the point of isolating you and getting you in a controlled environment. Uh, you know, controlling milieu control is essential for indoctrinating people into cults. And on that note, we're going to have to close the show. David, thank you so much. You're a fascinating guest. And to my listeners, uh, so tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening, and thank you, David, for being here today. Uh, thank you for having me on. Bye. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.